Turn again, uh, please, in your Bibles to page 940 in the Church Bible, Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, from verse 12 down to chapter 2, verse 3, uh, where we have Habakkuk's second complaint and the beginning of the Lord's response to that complaint. In one of the halls in Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, uh, where there are portraits of the, the founding professors, the men who left Princeton Seminary in the 20s to found Westminster, there is a portrait of Robert Dick Wilson. And underneath his portrait is a quotation from the man himself. I have not avoided the hard questions. Which is a great thing to uh, say or for a teacher to uh, claim for himself. I have not avoided the hard questions. Habakkuk was not a man to avoid the hard questions. Habakkuk, the name, actually means embracer. Now, it didn't mean that uh, he went around hugging people or trees or anything like that. It meant that he embraced or grappled with the hard questions. And in particular, he grappled with the question of the justice of God and pain and uh, evil in the world. Now we're going to be looking at uh, this, this struggle that Habakkuk had and a little of the Lord's response to him. And I, I hope this morning, uh, perhaps if you're not fully committed yet as a Christian, that this will help you if this is one of the, the difficulties that you have in committing your life to Jesus Christ, that this will help you even a little uh, to put your faith in Christ. And if you're a Christian, I hope that this will provide some uh, way of resource, even in a small way, to help non-Christian friends that you may have who find the problem of suffering or pain or injustice an obstacle in faith. Well, Habakkuk has had bad news. He's a thoughtful and sensitive individual. He is concerned for the way in which his people have been rejecting God and have been creating a society in which uh, injustice rules and the law is paralyzed. And he desperately wants God to intervene. He wants the people to have a sight of the awesome purity of God that will jolt them back to their senses. And he's poured out his heart to God in prayer for his people. However, the answer that God gives seems to create bigger problems for Habakkuk than the initial situation. God's remedy is that he is going to raise up the Babylonians and they will be the instrument of his judgment on the people. But these Babylonians are vicious. They have an absolutely ruthless war machine. They will be notorious for the way in which they treat the people they conquer. And Habakkuk recoils in horror at this news. And his response uh, to this bad news is set out for us in what is titled in our Bibles, his second complaint. 
His first complaint, of course, was that God was not doing anything about the situation in Judah. And now that God is going to do something, he's got another complaint. Lord, I don't like the way that you're going to do something about the situation. The problem, uh, of course, is one of uh, one that many of us can relate to, many of us can identify as a major problem in the minds of many people, uh, both Christian and non-Christian, and that is the mystery of God's providence. God's ordering a world in which there is so much that is unjust, where there is so much pain. And the message Just in summary form, the message this morning for us from the word of God is in the face of these questions, these things that perplex us, God says, don't dismiss God without first having listened to him. Wait on God. Wait for him to speak to you in the Bible God wants you to grapple with the hard questions. Section divides up quite clearly. There's Habakkuk's complaint to God against his purpose to use the Babylonians. Uh, There's Habakkuk's resolve uh, uh, from verse 1 of chapter 2 to wait on God to see what he will say. And thirdly, there is God's response to Habakkuk. So let's look first of all at Habakkuk's complaint and perhaps ours. Habakkuk has a problem both at an intellectual level, problem of what's going on here, but also at a personal level, at the level of his emotions. See, this is not for Habakkuk an academic situation. This is deeply personal. And as God has been telling him, that he's sending the Babylonians to judge his own people, no doubt Habakkuk is picturing in his mind some of the, the, the future scenes that there would be there. He can see in his mind the, the cavalry coming, the Babylonian cavalry, the dust rising from the horses, the flames rising from the temple, the cries of despair from the people of Judah, bodies uh, strewing the streets, It's not an academic question. He's involved. But it's also an academic question. It's an intellectual question. It's a challenge to his belief. How can the God Habakkuk has been taught about, has believed in, how can he be behind this dreadful uh, war machine? Well, notice that Habakkuk, in his complaint, in his cry, begins with God. He begins with God. He doesn't begin with a blank sheet of paper. He addresses God. And he addresses God using a number of different and equally reverent forms of address. O Lord. Notice capitalized. So it's the word Jehovah, Yahweh. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. O Lord, O Rock. In this sea of confusion, Habakkuk clings to the life boy. Of God's existence. In this chaos. In this storm that's engulfing him. He holds on to the the rock. That will not be moved. The fact of God. Now 
that's interesting because many people would say you can't start like that. The very fact that there is injustice and pain in the world means that there's no God. No God to begin with. And the reasoning has always gone like this. If there is a God, then there are two things that we must be able to say about him. And that is that he is all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants. And he is good. And if he's good, he doesn't want injustice and suffering. But, the argument goes, we look around us and we see injustice and suffering. Therefore, uh, either uh, God is not good or powerful, or there's no God. Because the God of the Bible is both good and powerful, it must be that there's no God. That has been the argument that has been used uh, against belief in God by people who point to suffering in the world. But uh, it seems that today that, that argument doesn't bear nearly as much weight as it was once thought to. Because it actually creates more problems for the atheist, for the skeptic, than for the believer. You say, how does that work? Well, it's quite obvious why uh, pain and injustice should be a problem for a man like Habakkuk who believes in a God who is good. If you're a Christian, you feel the problem as well. But the question is, why should it be a problem for someone who's an unbeliever? Usually, today, an unbeliever explains life on the basis of uh, atheistic evolution. And yet that, as a process, depends on there being suffering and pain in the world. So what's the problem? You see? He doesn't have a basis for saying that there is a problem with injustice and pain. Now that's actually what C.S. Lewis came to realize. C.S. Lewis, uh, the Christian writer, the, the man behind the, uh, the Narnia stories that were uh, released on the, on the screen, he had a, a period in his life, this great intellectual man, when he, he flirted with atheism. And he said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, he says, I could have given up any idea of justice by saying it was just a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. Because the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. Not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. So in the face of injustice and pain, when we cry out against it, we have nowhere else to start than with God. With the God who is there. But also notice, it's important that we start out with the God of the Bible. And not with some other God of our own imagining. You see, the, the God that believe, unbelievers may reject could turn out to be a very different God from the God of the Bible. 
Uh, many unbelievers, for example, have a notion of a God who, if he is there, is like an indulgent uncle. You know, someone who loves just to keep everybody happy. A big uh, Santa Claus type figure. Who would never inflict pain on anyone. Who would never uh, condemn anyone. For whom the idea of hell or judgment is just absolutely impossible. Well, if that is someone's idea of God, it's not the God of the Bible. And then there's the idea that God doesn't order events. That the future is open. That they call it the open God. And he's discovering and he's reacting Simply that he's powerful to shape events. But he doesn't actually order them in advance. And again, that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is a sovereign God. Who does ordain things which come to pass before they happen. And so when people say, I don't believe in God. It's important to ask them, well, is the God you don't believe in the God of the Bible? The sovereign God. The God of justice. The God who is revealed in Jesus. Because if you don't believe in that God, well I don't believe in that God either. In your God either. Habakkuk begins with belief in God and it's the God of the Bible. The God who ordains. The God of justice and holiness. A God who is from everlasting. Oh God, are you not from everlasting? Even the proudest empires, the one of the Babylonians, it's going to pass away but God will continue. And he's holy. It's a great characteristic of God. God, my Holy One, Habakkuk cries. He is unmixed goodness and truth. He's endlessly, unchangeably pure in His justice and His goodness and truth. And in verse 13, if you look at that in your Bible, you've got one of the classic uh, statements of God's holiness. You, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Habakkuk's absolutely right. That's what God is like. His eyes will not look on evil. Evil cannot exist in his presence. But we're still left with questions, even when we agree that God is uh, the God who ordains things, the God who is holy, Even when we realize that injustice and pain don't prove that God doesn't exist, we still have difficulties. Sometimes the world doesn't make sense to us. And you get something of the the churned up feeling in Habakkuk, uh, this sense of perplexity in his complaint. Uh, I think it's one of these cases where when you read the Bible, uh, intonation and the the emphasis is all important. for example, Habakkuk saying, my God, my Holy One, you'll never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to be, look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? You are this, Lord, and they are that. How come you're using them? And then there's this powerful picture in verse 14. Uh, the picture of men being like fish, you know, shoals of fish that dart around without any leader. You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. Now, we, we can all identify with that picture, can't we? The, the vast 
shoals of fish in the ocean. Uh, you've, you've seen it at least on television in the Discovery Channel or whatever, the, the nature programs, uh, when the, the camera goes underwater and you see these enormous uh, masses of fish and the way in which they, they, they move even en masse so rapidly. Or uh, if you've ever maybe gone snorkeling and you've gone in a place, uh, maybe in, in, in warm waters where there are lots of these shoals of fish and you see how they, they dart about or move. Or maybe you've gone with a net catching sticklebacks or minnows or something and you know what it is to, to simply scoop them out of the water. And Habakkuk saying that mankind is just like this. Just like this. Pray to this great enemy with his dragnet. And he comes along and he scoops them out of the emotion. And in everyday life we feel something of the injustice of this. Being like someone, like a little fish caught up in someone's net. When an employer cuts corners in his health and safety. And a friend is fatally injured at work and yet the business goes on and prospers. Or maybe you, you've got someone at work who has it in for you and is constantly uh, at you and, and digging you and undermining you. And he gets on and you're left behind. We've got to feel Habakkuk's complaint. Why, Lord? Why would you do things this way? But Habakkuk comes to a decision, a decision that we can follow when we're faced with these kind of questions. Because Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. Now again, you've got to use your, your mind's eye here and you've got to visualize Habakkuk as a solitary figure in a watchtower. And he's there on his own. He's there over a long period of time and he's scanning the horizon, as it were. He's looking for an answer. His eyes and his ears are open. A solitary watcher. First point, we don't Follow the crowd. How readily people dismiss the Bible simply because the crowd they're in has dismissed it. Because they had a skeptical bunch of teachers at school and everybody else thought it was fun to laugh at the Bible with them. Or they grew up in a family where God's things were simply rubbished. Everyone around them turned their back on the church and so in an unthinking way, they simply did the same. Well, Habakkuk says, I will be alone in my watchtower. I will wait and I will see what answer God gives. Secondly, his example teaches us to investigate the Bible. People have very fixed views about a book that many of them have never investigated. Never read the book that they are so quick to rubbish. And Habakkuk's ready to, to look at, to see what he will say to me and answer, and what answer I will give to this complaint. 
we, if we look at the Bible, will find at least a sufficient answer to our problems. And we are not going to find uh, detailed explanations for all that goes on in life, all our problems. But we will find in the Bible a sufficient answer. And we'll find that the Bible makes sense of life. That if we look at the world around us from the point of view of the Bible, things begin to make sense. They won't make sense in any other way, but they'll make sense uh, from the perspective of the Bible. The Bible throws light on the human situation. Again, uh, C.S. Lewis said that he believed in God as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because because by it, I see everything else. If you look up at the sun uh, on its own for evidence that the sun is there, well, it's going to blind your eyes. But you find evidence for the sun in looking at the things that the sun illuminates, makes clear. And you can recognize how it sustains everything and enables us to see these things. And we draw an inference of the power and the quality of the sun. And the same with the Bible. Because the Bible makes sense of life. It's a great argument. For the truth of God and his word. And thirdly. The listening may require patience. The picture is of someone. Who is waiting patiently on the watchtower. He will station himself there. He's in it for the long haul. To see what God will say. Many of the questions that we have about God are answered over time. We, we had a very good example of that, actually, when we were studying in Daniel quite recently. And in the course of, I think it was chapter 5, uh, when we came to Belshazzar, we, we commented on the fact that there was a period of time, a fairly lengthy period of time, when liberal scholars uh, pointed to Daniel and said, Daniel, is just fiction. Look, there's no mention of Belshazzar as, as a king. In any of the, the historical books. And everybody of that persuasion felt, uh, felt quite uh, pleased with themselves. For having that uh, historical uh, defeater for uh, the, the book of Daniel. And then, over the course of time, archaeology came up with evidence that Belshazzar was in fact uh, the, the person that the Bible claimed him to be. That they had actually got it wrong. That there came uh, to light archaeological, historical evidence for him. So we need to be willing to wait on God, to be patient as Habakkuk was. And then God responds, and in verse 1 of chapter 2, we have the beginning of what is a long, a lengthy uh, reply from, from God to Habakkuk. So only two verses, uh, we'll look at the rest next week. But notice that Habakkuk says, the Lord says to Habakkuk, first of all, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and not delay. (coughs) What's, What's the Lord saying to Habakkuk here? Well, he's saying first, in the first place, he's saying, Habakkuk, the things that I've told you about the Babylonians coming, uh, it's going to be a while before that happens, but it will certainly happen. The revelation will take time, but it will happen. 
you know, there's a, a, also a principle here. And the principle is that God's revelation is something that, is, takes, that takes place in history. It unfolds down through the years. And it has its focus in a historical event that was still to happen in Habakkuk's time. The event of Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of history. Everything revolves around Jesus and everything is explainable by Jesus. Everything that came before him is a shadow of Jesus. Everything that comes after him in the Bible is looking back to and and being explained by Jesus. How does Jesus help us? When we are scratching our heads and wondering... Why is this happening to me? Why is this unjust thing happening to me? Why am I living in a world where there's so much injustice, so much suffering, so much pain? How does Jesus help me in all this? Friends, in a number of ways, Jesus helps us in all this. He helps us, first of all, because if ever there was anyone who suffered unjustly, it was the Lord Jesus Christ taken and tried before a kangaroo court by people who were motivated by jealousy. He died in excruciating agony on the cross of Calvary. He bore the curse of sin. And in Jesus we have someone to look to when we can't make sense of pain and justice in our world or in our lives. We know that he has been there. We know we can pray to Jesus and we will find in him someone who is sympathetic to how we feel. Because he felt the same injustice when he walked this earth. But also we know that when Jesus suffered in that way and it was ordained of God, the Father, the Father still loved him. He was not separated from the love of God in the darkness. He was delivered. God does not leave us alone. He is the deliverer. He keeps his promise. Lo, I am with you always. And then finally, because of Jesus, there is the testimony that one day everything will be renewed. There's a day coming. When earthly injustice will be brought to account. Where people who have been righteous and still have suffered. They'll be vindicated. There's a day coming when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And where all who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ will be free forever. From pain and suffering. And from all of the things that seem so unfair in this life. The future is not just going to comfort us in our loss. It's going to make everything so much greater, so much better. Tim Keller, the uh, American writer and and, uh, minister, writes, "The the biblical view of things is resurrection, not a future that's just a consolation for the life that we never had, but a restoration of the life you always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, 
but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. So here we are. Here is the challenge. When life seems bitter, don't set aside the Bible. Take your cue from Habakkuk and wait on God in faith. You don't see things clearly now, but there is every evidence, every reasonable evidence for believing that you will see things clearly in the future. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word. Amen.